Welcome to the Long-Term Care Chronicles podcast. Good morning, uh, Mr. Duncan Sinclair. I just want to thank you for coming on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles this morning and talking about your report that you co-authored, Aging Well. And um, if you could just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, that'd be great. Well, um, I'm uh, myself an aging person, as you can see. Uh, I have been in Canada for a good long time. I came here uh, in the 60s and I've been at Queen's University most of that time. Uh, I'm a physiologist by background, not a physician. Uh, and, uh, but I wound up uh, retired from Queen's as Dean of the Faculty of Medicine. And before that, I filled a number of administrative posts. Uh, and before that, I was a card-carrying physiologist uh, doing research and, and teaching. Thank you for that. So we'll start. So my first question that we have here is the current model is broken into three silos where you have lifestyle, housing, and social. And the future reformed model would have all of these fused together with care. Why do you need, why do we need to change the current model? Would this re-image model be better to support the baby boomer cohort? Uh, the simple answer to that is yes. And the reason why it's so much better is that it meets the total needs of elderly people to age well. They do need care. There's no doubt. They do need housing. Uh, oftentimes they have their own housing in their own homes, but without support can't stay there. They need socialization and they need uh, the, the, to continue with the healthy activities of their lifestyles, including uh, exercise. And all of those things go together to make them healthy, to allow them to continue to be healthy and particularly to be happy. Definitely. I couldn't agree more. So the next question we have here is the current approach in long-term care as, as defined is it is as the silo approach warehouse model, which is currently not affordable. Would you be able to explain why this is so? Well, <clears throat> there, there are several reasons, but they boil down to the fact is that the uh, accommodation of elderly people in care homes require those homes to be built in the first place. And we have inadequate numbers of them even now. The second reason is that we are an aging population. Uh, in the next 20 years, we are gonna have an additional 4.2 million people who are over the age of 65. That's gonna require a great deal more building of facilities. So uh, from an economic point of view, the government who will be expected to contribute a substantial amount to any building uh, just doesn't have the money. And we as individuals are going into a kind of a rough uh, economic times and our uh, the savings of elderly people will be inadequate to afford it. So the fact is we just can't afford to do so. Plus, the more compelling reason 
is that the accommodation to people in care homes is far more expensive than the alternatives. And it doesn't make any sense to spend all that money when A, we don't have to, but particularly B, when people would be happier in those alternatives uh, than they are in care homes. So you add all that together and it doesn't make a lot of sense to continue with our current policy. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. So, and as previous and current provincial governments have failed with the silo warehouse model, families are demanding that municipal, provincial and federal governments need to work together to a reformed emerged model. And families are demanding a national standards be set and federally funded. How would the federal government be able to implement this now? Well, uh, you asked a classic Canadian question. We, uh, we have a federation uh, in which the responsibilities for uh, doing the best for our society are divided uh, between the federal, provincial, territorial, and to some degree municipal uh, tax authorities. So uh, we, it's a challenge in Canada to get a consensus, but we have, we're just hopefully emerging from a real crisis epidemic of COVID-19, which demonstrated very clearly that the standards that apply to care homes, the standards that apply generally in our society were insufficient to block the transmission of this new virus that has got. So the COVID-19 provides a compelling example of why we need standards. How would we develop them? By collaboration among those, well, particularly the senior levels of government, of the federal government and the provinces and territory. We do have the mechanisms to do that. We have conferences, uh, consultations between the federal and provincial territorial governments. We have the, the Council of the Federation of the Provinces. There are mechanisms uh, for us by which we could achieve uh, standardization. And there's lots of expertise that the, both levels of government could easily recruit to establish those standards. It's a matter of getting on with it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And your report considers aging Canadians that are in debt and who have little to fall back on in their retirement. How will their debt loads impact the financial cost of care for these individuals? Well, classically in Canada and in most countries, the rule of thumb, as it were, for to, uh, to support elderly people in their retirement is that out of their savings, those people generally pay the accommodation cost. It's fair enough, but you're, you're going to pay for that regardless of where you are. Uh, whereas the government's uh, highly subsidize or even pay the total amount of the support and care costs through taxation. If, if in a care home, the accommodation cost 
normally speaking, is much higher than it would be if, the, if people were able to stay in their own homes with support coming to them rather than they're going to where the support is in the care home. So uh, again, as I said, we're, we're going into kind of a rough, uh, not very profitable economic time over the longer term. Uh, and it makes a lot of sense to ensure that these that people who will have to pay their accommodation costs in general uh, do so in the most uh, cost-effective way possible, and that is in their own homes or in the alternatives in which they prefer to live, like communal homes. Yes. Uh, the, these kinds of things. Okay, and then for the baby boomer cohort that you mentioned before, and of course, future generations, can you explain why we can no longer afford the silo warehouse model? Could you please speak to the main points that you brought up in your report for our listeners? The baby boomer generation, uh, they started right after the war and continued up till 1965. It's the largest uh, generation really of individuals that we have ever seen as a lump. Uh, the baby boomers are, have dominated our society and, and several others as well. Uh, uh, as they grew up, they demanded things as children, they demanded other things as uh, teenagers and so on, and will continue to do so as they age. It's like, uh, uh, it's not a very good metaphor, but it's like the lump in the snake. It ate a great big animal and it's passing through. The, the, uh, it's a consequence of so many children having been born in such a short, relatively yes. short period of time that they flood, they're flooding uh, uh, the so-called market as it will. And we, frankly, we do not have the capacity to accommodate that number of people uh, in uh, a, a single environment when they retire. Uh, it is a matter of cost. There's no question. You can, if we had all kinds of money, and they did, yes. uh, you could build these houses. But what are you going to do? subsequently uh, with all of that accommodation when eventually the baby boomer generations disappear. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. The other factor, frankly, we, uh, as you will know from reading our report, we did some studies of other societies, uh, particularly in Europe, and the evidence is very plain that the level of health and enjoyment of life, which of course is really, really important, in many other countries is higher among elderly people than it is here in Canada. And uh, frankly, we are a highly developed country. And I would like to think that you can't age better anywhere than you can age in Canada. And that was the, uh, that's really the principal objective of our producing this report. Denmark. Uh, is, report, is referred to several times mm -hmm. in our report. Kind of the kind of gold standard. Uh, Denmark decided in the 1980s to pass legislation 
that they would no longer build any long-term care homes and have not. Uh, you could ask, well, why, led, why did they legislate that? It was basically to discipline themselves so that a given government uh, wouldn't backslide and decide to build something. So they haven't. And in fact, they have closed several of the homes that were extant when they passed that legislation. The, the record is that the elderly people who age under the circumstances that are with which they are, they are supported in Denmark are the happiest people going. So, hey, we should do, we should emulate their example. Yeah, we should. And, and this next, next question goes to the fact of what you just said, because from your article, you cite the re-image model for care for older Canadians. Would you say this is what Canadians want? And how are other countries faring by using this type of model? And is this model more affordable and why? A complex question. Uh, the simple answer is that uh, the evidence is very plain that what elderly people want, almost all every elderly person wants, is to age well and to do so in what's said, what's called in place, where they're familiar with their housing, they're familiar with their community, they're familiar with the services that are available, and uh, like all of us, uh, people don't like change an awful lot. And uh, you're most comfortable, particularly if you're an older person, you're most comfortable with those things with which you are familiar. And uh, that's exactly what we're attempting to emulate. And research, uh, when you say, is that what people want? The answer is very plain, yes. yes. Very few people really want to go into a care home. There will come a time when they have to. We can't. There's nothing wrong with care homes, except that, uh, in as we use them in Canada, we accommodate more people that don't need really to be there, and with the appropriate support. And I use the word support rather than care, uh, because, uh, as we said at the opening of this interview. The support requires the uh, housing and requires support of their social lives and, and uh, uh, recreation, all of those uh, things around the physical care, which they need as well. But all of that, the great majority of that can be provided to elderly people who are aging in place in their own homes or in the homes of their children, in the the mini house that's attached to the, the home of their children or in what are called NORCs, it's an awful term, naturally occurring retirement communities where, where elderly people congregate together in the community because there they can get the range of supports from their neighbors and from their friends and from their families and from the society in which they live. So there are a, a wide variety of alternatives that are available, some of which are being developed here in Canada. Uh, we, uh, I have a, Don and I have some colleagues who have uh, studied the effect of a particular 
community here in Kingston. And uh, uh, given the opportunity to leave that uh, retire retirement community for a care home, nobody has taken that opportunity up. They preferred to live as independently as possible in what's called Oasis. It's a, 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 an apartment building, a, uh, the owner of which has dedicated part of the facility to a common space so that the, the, the people who live there have a few uh, communal meals every once in a while. They've got a coordinator who lives in the building to facilitate their activities. And anyway, there are a variety of alternatives that have been proven uh, by virtue of close study uh, to be preferable to care home. Thank you for that, because the, the next question kind of further expands on that, indicating that why that seniors want a variety of housing op options between their homes and long-term care. And if you could be able to expand maybe on that oasis, like what is available now? And do you think that that should be the norm going forward? Well, I do, yes. And Don and I both do, as a report makes that very clear. Uh, relative to other countries, we put more to, well, we put a lot of our resources into care homes and very little into the provision of support in an individual's home. If through home care, through Meals on Wheels, through uh, respite programs, uh, all of those, those common supports. Uh, uh, I have a, a not a, it's not a good story, but it's a favorite story of a friend of mine who uh, is elderly, same as I, uh, who I encountered in a drugstore. We were in filling our prescriptions and uh, I hadn't seen her in a long time. And I said, you know, where are you? And uh, she told me that she had uh, sold her home, her husband had died. She sold her their home reluctantly and had gone into not a care home, but a retirement community. And I said, Allie, how are you doing? She said, you know, I'm warm, I'm dry, the meals are okay, but you know, it isn't home. And uh, that has stuck with me, uh, being at home. And uh, that seems to me the most important thing to satisfy a generation of people who have been very productive, live in Canada all their lives, deserve the support so that they can stay at home uh, as long as they possibly can. And that's what that report's all about. Definitely. And I think, as I said, this next question is very similar to what you just indicated that um, many valuable supports could be delivered through community services. And why do you think this is valuable? I know you probably, um, as I said, mentioned this already in the last uh, question and answer, but if you can just kind of expand on that. Well, uh, let's think about what it takes to provide the support that we're talking about. And, and uh, let, let me be very plain. In a care home, uh, basically they're organized such that to make the care of the individuals here and there efficient. And, and that needs to be done. 
So you've got uh, people aggregated where the care and support is. Uh, it's very clear that uh, COVID, COVID has made it very clear. We need to beef all that up in the care homes. More people, better educated people, uh, better managed uh, people. Uh, that organization, beefed up organization, could easily be transferred to the community support a little less efficiently, uh, no doubt, because the support givers and caregivers have to travel from one place to another. But if they're aggregated to some degree in cities where most of us live, that's not a big problem. And so, yes, uh, the distribution of care and support is a challenge in rural Canada because of course we have a huge country, but we have become an urban country. Uh, most of us live in or near uh, cities where the, the caregiver support can be organized such that uh, into a district and given responsibility for looking after all the elderly people in that community. Uh, it's a matter of using our imagination, which we really could, we could do. There's a very, uh, I have never been there. I would love to go and see uh, a dementia village in the Netherlands where there are no walls, but there are a number of people with developing and, and frank dementia who live in that area they don't leave because they don't have to leave. They don't want to leave. They don't wander away because everybody is dedicated in that village to helping those people live as independently as they can the whole of their lives. That sounds to me like a wonderful thing to do. Yes, definitely, especially for dementia care. And in your study, you cite that the intern international models of care. What did you learn from these models and which ones do you believe should be incorporated for our seniors care? Well, the, 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 the common factor in all of them that we believe should be emulated is the shi shift to put more of our resources and our policy direction into the provision of, of care and support in the community uh, than we do in institutions. So shifting out of institutions into the community is where we think we should go. In Canada, for every dollar we put into home care, we spend $6 on, on institutional care. In many other countries, that isn't quite reversed, but it's uh, people spend, mm -hmm. uh, many countries spend more on community care than they do in institutional care, notably uh, Denmark, but yes. uh, several other countries as well, particularly in the Scandinavian countries. And that's, that's the common factor that uh, I believe we should uh, we should follow. 
Thank you. And with the population aging in Canada and the current model of providing care to seniors from your report, this warehouse model is unsustainable. Could you just go into a little bit uh, deeper to let us let our listeners know as to really why? Well, just think about the numbers. When uh, Medicare was developed, now close to 70 years ago, the senior population in Canada was about seven and a half percent. Now it's in the order of 17 percent thereabouts. And by 19 or 2041, it's going to be 25 percent. Think about that growth. That's huge. Just absolutely huge. When Medicare was inventive, invented in, uh, in Saskatchewan, there were no care homes or were very few. We were an agrarian society where the extended family uh, didn't think about what's going to happen to granny when she's old because she would continue to live with the family. Uh, that's not now, that, that's not, we are no longer an, agri, uh, an agrarian community. We're city dwellers. Uh, my children, your children uh, are not going to be able to accommodate me in their 650 foot condo in downtown Toronto. It's just uh, the, our house. So you, you think about the challenges uh, that that represents and now trans, uh, put your mind that you're now the prime minister. What are you going to do about that? Uh, does it make sense if granny is already accommodated in her little condo or her old house? Does it make sense to bring the supports to her so that she can stay there happily? And is it cheaper? Currently, uh, home care is it's going to have to be expanded. So the cost uh, currently costs about $45 a day or something like that. Uh, even if it were to be doubled, it would be much less expensive than the provision of the same levels of care and support in a care home. And certainly a lot less than if the granny were to be accommodated in the hospital as an alternative level care. The hospital care is approaching in the order of $1,000 a day. Yeah. In the care homes, care homes, it's in the hundreds of dollars a day, whereas home care is in the order of maybe a hundred enriched to an enormous degree, like double yes. from the current. So that all makes sense. And uh, the bonus is, of course, that's what elderly people want and would strongly, strongly prefer. Thank you. Because right now, I guess to follow up that is, um, we, were, we really do require our government to look at more viable and sustainable models for aging, for the aging population. And I'll go into, let's say the report, you know, looked at, looked at um, 
the talk, you know, for seniors to live independently as long as possible at home and have gradual transition to alternative living arrangements. However, when seniors are admitted to hospitals and they have long stays in hospitals, and as you mentioned, it's very expensive for a hospital bed, whether due to illness or unable to have the support in the community or have access to a long-term care bed due to availability, what are all the financial impacts to all of these systems? And are we creating another crisis in the future if we do not re-image the way that we should as a society? Well, the simple answer to that is yes, uh, no question. When, uh, let me back up a little bit to the start of COVID. Yes. When we first heard about this virus, the first concern that people had uh, and governments had was to make room in hospitals for what we anticipated would be a wave of COVID cases. And in fact, that anticipation was right on. What did they do? They decanted out of hospitals the large proportion of people who were there under the categorization of alternative levels of care, which meant they were in hospital having had some procedure or some reason from, uh, to be in hospital from which they had recovered, but not sufficiently to go home without care. So uh, the, the, some 15% of hospital beds were occupied by uh, people in that category, very expensive, $1,000 a day or thereabouts. They very quickly at the start of COVID decanted all of those, nearly all of those patients, shouldn't use that term. They were no, no longer patients. They were just people being accommodated uh, out. Uh, some of them went home, some went into care homes uh, and it was done very quickly in the crisis. Well, things that can be done in a crisis can be done a lot more in a lot more organized way in a non-crisis. So we should do that all the time. And that is create a genuine system where the transfer of an individual, a person is appropriate to the level of care they need. Some need hospital care, no question. Some need continuing care, so on, but also down the, the the cascade so that many of them could be sent home provided they had sufficient care. They got somebody to come and shovel the walk, uh, help them make meals. Uh, you know, maybe somebody need people, some people will need some help with the activities of daily living, getting out of bed in the morning, dressing yourself, going to the toilet. Uh, uh, we know how to do that. It's where we're doing it uh, that needs to be improved. Definitely. I couldn't agree more. And you're, finally, your report details in some of the international countries and some that you've mentioned already and their approach to aging, to the aging population. What and what approach is best to take care? Would you be able to talk to some of the common themes that uh, your research uh, from the report has come across? Uh, well, uh, aging is a relatively slow process that uh, people who are entirely independent 
come at a point, like my friend in the drugstore, where she could no longer really maintain her house without uh, help uh, in the manner, or maintain herself in the manner that she felt responsible. So at the very outset, uh, maybe you need no more assistance than somebody to come in every once in a while, say once a week even, to uh, keep your house clean. I mean, that's a, a support, that isn't care, that's a support level. Or shovel the walk in the winter, uh, those kinds of things. There are many communities where that can be provided uh, through a community activity. There's a wonderful example of a community in Somerset in England, from a, a little town called Frome, where uh, uh, the, the municipality organized people who had time on their hands, many of them retired, who were willing to shovel the walk uh, and provide for services to their neighbors. Uh, and they advertise the availability of such people with just a simple phone number. So uh, they cut the, the attendance of the citizens, elderly citizens of Frome, uh, who uh, used emergency room access for medical care. They cut the growth of that by over half uh, just by this simple making available phone calls where somebody would come and check on somebody. Now, gradually over time, as we get older, we get subject to uh, greater and greater uh, incidence of uh, chronic disease, uh, arthritis, uh, shortness of breath, uh, COPD, all, there are many things. Uh, one would like to be healthy right to the end, but yes. we do have, Anyway, you can develop a cascade. So stay in your house with support as long as you can. Then there will come a time when perhaps you become so frail and perhaps develop a sufficient degree of dementia that you do need a care home. There's nothing wrong with care homes apart from accommodating more people than actually need to be there. If you could stay in your own home or in one of these alternatives long enough so that when you go to care home, normally speaking, people don't stay in care home very long because they die. And uh, the idea is to have that period as short as possible. And that's what's happening in other countries who have care homes and, no, and uh, not knocking care homes. Uh, Apart, and it's not their fault that they're accommodating people longer than need be. Yes. Uh, they're not out recruiting people. In fact, we have a shortage of care home beds right now under the current policy. Our policy is wrong. Yes, definitely. And I just want to thank you so much uh, for coming on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles and speaking to your Aging Well report. And I will make sure to have that in the show notes. So if anyone wants to read your report, it's quite detailed and very, you know, lays some really 
interesting truths as to things that we need to look at as a society. So I want to thank you so much, Duncan Sinclair, for coming on again today. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. Nice to meet you on the Zoom.